Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus 7, verses 22 through 29. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat, and the fat of an animal that dies naturally, and the fat of of what is torn by wild beasts, may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animal, of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, we do ask you, dear Lord, that you would help us to see these things this morning, that we would understand the significance of how you have reserved things for your glory. You have reserved things that you have made, and yet you have declared them to be sinful, and yet you will turn those things for your glory. They're reserved for your glory in the way that you deal with them, dear Lord. You have reserved other things, dear Lord, for us and allow us to partake of them. And you've made these things, dear Lord, as pictures for us so that we might understand the true reality of things. You've taken the blood and you've said we shall not drink of it or eat of it because the life is in it. And you've reserved things to yourself, dear Lord, so that we might understand your nature, that we might understand the invisible things that you have made that are eternal, and that we might see your glory and understand you, dear Lord. We ask you, dear God, that you would be with us this morning, that we might hear your words, and that we might, as your servants, go forth and do your will. Amen. As we come to this passage, God has just made it very clear that he takes the peace offerings very seriously. He just said in the previous verse, Leviticus 7.21, Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or any abominable uncut off from his people. That expresses the seriousness of the offense, that if you do anything to defile yourself, even unintentionally, that you're not fit to eat the peace offering. Obviously, that's a picture of how those who walk in righteousness are the ones who have the blessings of peace with God. You know, 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteous is righteous just as he is righteous, so people shouldn't pretend like they have peace with God when they're not walking in righteousness. If they have this, this picture, this physical picture of uncleanness that is representing a spiritual reality. So now we come to this passage, which is all of a sudden he starts talking about eating fat and eating blood. But it also is in the same way expressing the seriousness of it. Because in the same way, if you eat the fat, of the offering, an offering made by fire, if you drink the blood, God is saying, if you do these things, you have to be cut off from the people of God. So we see how serious this is, and as we consider these things, we need to recognize the serious nature with which God is is putting these things, because he basically has a list of things that he's saying, these are death penalty offenses related to worship. These are things that people should be put to death for eating a peace offering when you're unclean. And clearly, it doesn't have to do with the peace offering. It doesn't have to do with being physically unclean. These are, these are physical pictures of spiritual realities. 
the person who thinks that they're fine with God, thinks they're at peace with God, that doesn't make you at peace with God. You're still subject to hell. Like the people who speak to Christ on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says when the judgment day comes, they'll say, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not heal in your name? Did I not do wonders in your name? Did I not prophesy in your name? And God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's the picture. But now we come to this picture of fat and blood, which is also the picture of people who are cut off, people who are separated from the people of God. But before we discuss what those laws are pointing to, in the New Covenant, one of these is still binding. The idea of not eating blood, that's still binding in the New Covenant. And one is not, which is don't eat the fat. That's not binding in the New Covenant. So I thought I'd take some time this morning to make sure everybody understood why this is. Because as we continue to go through Leviticus, we're going to keep hitting things like this. And, it's, and there has to be some objective standard, some standard by which you judge whether they're still binding or not. And so I want to take some time this morning to talk about Ephesians 2. But to understand the importance of Ephesians 2, you have to go back to Matthew 5. Is Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 17 through 19, Christ said, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called in the kingdom called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I just told you, it's okay for you to eat fat. So did I just violate what Christ just said, that this makes me the least in the kingdom of heaven? So it's it's important, when you think about what God says about this, it's important that there's some standard by which to judge, just not... Well, you know, blood's kind of gross, so we don't want to eat that, but it's nice to have a little fat around the edge of your steak, so it's okay to eat that. It can't be subjective to man's opinion. It has to be by the revealed word of God that makes you say that you should not eat blood in the new covenant, but in the new covenant, it's okay to eat fat. So we should recognize that, first of all, it's a very dangerous thing when God says Christ came to fulfill all the laws and that if you teach them to break one of the least of these, you're least in the kingdom of heaven. And to understand that, you have to understand who the least in the kingdom of heaven is. The least in the kingdom of heaven is not the beggar on the street. The least in, the king, in a kingdom is the one who's on death row. Almost all commentaries that talk about least in the kingdom, they say these are people that are about to be put out of the kingdom. And so don't think of it, just go, oh, I'm least in the kingdom, but that's not a big deal. Christ is saying, this is a sign that you're not actually in the kingdom, that you're going to be cut off from the kingdom. If you teach to break even the least of his commandments. So when Christ warns about leading a new believer into sin in Luke 17, 1 and 2, he says, then he said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. 
Christ is saying the same thing. If you teach them to disobey his commandments, if you teach them to sin, if you say you can eat of the fat, when you can't eat of the fat, it is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. The picture here is it's better off to be dead than it is to be least in the kingdom of heaven. It's better to have no chance, no hope of surviving than to teach someone to sin. So the first thing is, all the laws, every one of them, the default is you have to obey them. But I said, you're not to eat the blood in the new covenant, but you can't eat the fat. So for me to say that with confidence, it must require an objective measure to decide which laws are still binding and which passed away because they are ceremonial in nature, because they were just to be pictures related to Christ. So I thought it was worth taking time this week to make sure that we have understand the difference and understand the standard by which we judge these things. Because we're going to find a lot of these as you go through Leviticus. And even in this passage, it's not like they're, they're neatly delineated. You have don't eat fat and you don't have don't eat blood. They're right next to each other. And one passed away in Christ and one did not. So we need to have discernment when we go through Leviticus to understand there is a standard by which you decide. Which brings us to Ephesians 2. And there's other places that deal with this issue like Colossians 2, 16 and 7. 17, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So we have that, that underlying view here is that the things that were pointing to Christ, they go away. They go away in the new covenant. But in Ephesians 2, Paul lays out the arguments that gives us a standard by which we can judge. So he starts his argument in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's the work of God that causes anyone to be saved. It's not by their work. And God does that work so that the saved do good works, which God is responsible since he prepared beforehand for us to do them. Which then, Paul says, this implies in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, therefore, he's saying from that you can reason this. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So because God saved us by his work, well, the circumcision in the flesh that separated the, the Israelites, the Jews from the Gentiles, that wasn't a work of God. That was a work of man. And so it was a work in the flesh. So that wasn't what was separating the true people of God from those who were not the true people of God. But God set this up. He set up this shadow to show those who were part of the commonwealth of Israel, those who were, were heirs of the promise from those who were not heirs of the promise. So God at Mount Sinai, he creates a separation. All this stuff we're studying in Leviticus 
Some of it's binding, some of it's not. But the point of it is he's creating a separation between Israel and the Gentiles. Everything that happens about Mount Sinai, all the stuff that we were studying at the beginning of Leviticus, this is all about creating a separation from the circumcision, because the only people that could go make a peace offering, the only people that could go make a sin offering, the only people that could do burn offerings were people who were circumcised. So this is separating all those laws in Leviticus. It's about how you separate a people to God by physical work, which is not how God separates people to himself. He does a circumcision of the heart, not circumcision of the flesh. So to remember all the stuff that we've been talking about to enter into the tabernacle, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. That's what was required. And so that was about separating the Gentiles from the, the Israelites. And so the context of this argument, though, is it's salvation is a work of God. So this whole thing, this whole system with all these sacrifices, it's just a shadow because it's pointing to a spiritual reality that God does. And so the substance is Christ, as it says in Colossians 2, because God is, is using these physical pictures of what man does to have a picture of what God does. So the Gentiles were separated from the physical promises, the promise of the promised land, access to the, to the, holy, of, the holy place, access to the courtyard of the tabernacle. But all those are pictures. They were all about shadows and not substance. But Christ changed all of that in Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So while the whole thing about the Mosaic Covenant was to create a separate people, to create a division between Israel and the Gentiles, Christ came to bring the Gentiles close, to bring them near by the blood of Christ. Christ's blood is what brings the Gentiles back because all of a sudden it's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's not the blood that's being shed in the tabernacle. It's not the blood being shed in the, in the temple. It's the blood of Christ which has a greater effect than that separation. So Ephesians 1 starts with all things will be unified in Christ and the first thing that he unifies through the shedding of his blood is he brings the Gentiles who were far off, he brings them near through his blood. And so they, the Gentiles can share in the promises that were given to the nation of Israel. So in Christ, the things that were separated, the things that separated the Gentiles were to no longer separate the Gentiles because everybody shares in the commonwealth of Israel because Christ is Israel. He is the true spiritual Israel. So his body, those who make up the body of Christ, those are the true Israel and there is only one body of Christ. There's not a Gentile body and an Israel or a Jewish body. So Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So in the Mosaic Covenant, there was a division that happened. So you have Israel on one side and you have Gentiles on the other side. So that there could be a picture of what the people of God look like. And then in Christ, that separation that was done by Moses now goes away. There's a wall that was built up that separated the Jews from the Gentiles, and that goes away. That, that was broken down when Christ comes. So where the whole point of the Mosaic Covenant was to create a separate and distinct and physically holy people, 
God now came in the flesh and sends his Holy Spirit to create a spiritual holy people, not a physically holy people. So those physical things that were to separate them, like the food that they ate and things like that, so that they couldn't go to be with the Gentiles. Like when Peter goes and sees the sheet coming down, and he goes, well, obviously I can never go to a Gentile. Look at what they eat. And then he recognizes that, no, they were brought near by the blood of Christ. That if Christ, if God made them clean, how can he pronounce them unclean? And so that's the picture, that middle wall of separation. So the two groups, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, that he made those two into one. Moses divided them. Christ unites them. So what's that middle wall of separation? Ephesians 2.15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So, Christ said all the laws continue, but here he says certain laws get destroyed. They get abolished in Christ. The laws that get abolished in Christ are those laws that separated the Israelites from the Gentiles. That's the middle wall of separation. That's how God created this division. So he could say, there's Israel. They're the holy people of God. By the way, all these churches that want to go, oh, Israel, national Israel, national Israel. Look at that country over in the Middle East. What's going to happen over there? Recognize they are rejecting what Christ did. Because Christ came to tear down the wall of separation between the Gentiles and the Israelites. He came to make the two one, and the American church is so eager to make the two two again. Well, no, Christ made them one. There is no Jewish church, and there is no, no Gentile church. That was the struggle of the first century of the church. But that's been done away, but... But so many churches want to resurrect that, or so-called churches want to resurrect that, which is really denying the crucifixion. Because Jesus Christ came, and one of the things that he did was he tore down that wall of separation so that he has one body and not two. Christ only has one body, and so what had to happen is those ordinances, the commandments that were written that were about separating the two, they had to be abolished. They had to be destroyed. So when you look at Matthew 5, he's not talking about all the laws because in Ephesians 2, Paul is very specific about which laws were abolished. Those that separated the circumcised from the uncircumcised. That middle wall of separation. So there's an objective standard that we can use when we go through a book like Leviticus, when we read the statutes. Because what we have to say, is this statute part of the moral law, part of the law that continues that Christ said will never be abolished until heaven and earth pass away? And then it gets abolished because we'll have no desire to sin, so there's no reason for the law because the law is given because of transgression. So is it that law or is it the law that is about creating a separation, in which case it was torn down by Christ. Christ came to make one body of believers through the same gift of faith, because it ties back that it's the gift of faith that God gave us, and because we all share the same faith. That's why Peter says at Cornelius' house, when he sees the Holy Spirit, he goes, how can I deny baptism? They receive the same spirit we received. 
Peter saw at Cornelius' house when the same events happened that happened at Pentecost, Peter sees that God made one body out of two. He abolished the middle wall of separation. All those laws that are related to the commandments. And it's very clear that Peter, he sees the sheet coming down with the animals in it. Then God says, kill and eat. That it's very clear that God is abolishing those laws. And that's one of the primary laws that God used to set the circumcision apart from the uncircumcision. But all these other laws, the peace offerings, the sin offering, the burn offering, the grain offering... All these were also about separating the circumcised from the uncircumcised. They're all shadows. The substance is Christ. Ephesians 2.16, And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. So we're recreating the enmity now. We're recreating that separation, that division now so often through dispensational eschatology. But Christ came that he might reconcile them both to God, making one people that are the people of God. In the Old Covenant, like Naaman, he was a righteous man. Job was a righteous man. There were men that were righteous men that were separated There were two bodies. There were the Gentile believers and there were the Israelite believers. But in the New Covenant, there is not that distinction anymore. That was done away. That was abolished by Christ at the cross when he made one body out of the two. So now let's go to the specific example that is this passage. Why you can eat fat and you cannot eat blood. The commandment about blood was given before It was given in Genesis 9, 2 through 4. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. That was the commandment given to Noah. It applies to all the descendants of Noah, of which every living person or every person that died after the flood is a descendant of Noah. And so it is binding to all people. So that not eating the blood is not about separating the Israelites from the Gentiles. So it continues to apply because it applied before Moses and it wasn't when God created that separation at Mount Sinai. It happened before that. So both the Israelites and the Gentiles are offspring of Noah, so the law still remains. You are not to eat blood. But how about fat? Never does it say Gentiles are not allowed to eat fat. It doesn't say that anywhere. On the other hand, there's many places where it talks about burning the fat on the altar. Well, burning the fat on the altar, that's what they were supposed to do with the fat, which means that since they were supposed to burn on the altar... It was related to the circumcision. It was related to Israelites, not to Gentiles. So therefore, when Christ came, he abolished the do not eat fat, but he did not abolish the do not eat blood. But there's an objective standard that we can use, and that doesn't mean it's always easy to figure it out, because you have to study the scriptures. You have to compare where it's given. You have to look at what came before. You have to look at the other commandments. But it's not arbitrary. It's not left in the purview of man 
to decide what laws to ignore and what laws to keep. And it doesn't mean that somehow you're more righteous because there's people that, it's pretty common actually, in other countries where Christians won't eat pork. Well, that was clearly abolished in Christ. That's denying the effect of the, of the cross because that was one of these laws that was torn down. But we also have to make sure because... He who teaches you to break the least of these commandments is least in the kingdom of God. We also have to make sure that we understand when laws have been abolished. And they're abolished if they were about separating Israelites from Gentiles. They were done away with in Christ. So with that long introduction, let's go to the text. Verses 22 and 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat. And so the Lord, you know, the Lord spoke to Moses here. And just like in other places where he did this, he gave a break. But here it's slightly different before, too, because what he had just been saying before, I think starting in chapter 6, was he was speaking to Moses, and then Moses was to speak to Aaron and his sons. And so that, that, that law about, you know, don't let the unclean eat the peace offerings, that was supposed to be enforced by the priests because it was given to Moses to say to Aaron and his sons. So when he switches here and says, speak to the children of Israel, he's saying this isn't just a commandment for the priest to know about, a commandment for the priest to enforce. This is what everybody's supposed to enforce. So the commandments about the fat and the blood... Moses was told them by God, then Moses has a responsibility to tell them to all the people, which means that the, the people now have the responsibility to enforce these commandments. So it's not just the priesthood's responsibility, it's everybody's responsibility. And when you think about later, we'll talk about you know, eating blood in the dwelling place. Well, obviously the priests can't enforce that. It has to be the Israelites that enforce that. So you shall not eat any fat. You know, it's very explicit that there was certain fat that, was, that needed to be burned in the fire. Like we've heard it multiple times, but Leviticus 3, 9 through 11 would be one example. And he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, its fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrail and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So it's been repeated many times that there's this certain fat that needs to be, that needs to be burned whenever you do an animal, the fat that's around the entrails. But then we get to this passage, and it's tempting to think that that's not just the fat that they were supposed to eat. But the Hebrew is actually pretty specific. It says no manner of fat, none none of the fat. And so, you know, walking into this, I was thinking it was just that fat, but I don't see how you get around what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew is really explicit that it's no manner of fat. And when you look at this and you go later to skip ahead, is that when they, after they slaughtered the animal, so they slaughtered a peace offering, They would cut it open. They would take out the entrails. They would burn the entrails. But then later they would come and they would bring the the thigh to the priest. I think it's the thigh. 
they would bring to the priest. But when they brought that, they would also bring the fat, that the fat would then be burned on the fire. So there's actually two burnings on the fire. One is where they've just gutted the animal and they burned the entrails. And then there's the fat that gets burned after they have butchered the animal, which would indicate it's different fat than the fat that's just on the entrails. So I don't think this means just like eating meat with eating the blood. It doesn't mean that if you slit an animal's throat and drain the blood out that you can't eat the meat because there might be some remnants of the blood in it. That's, that's not the point here. The point is, is that the blood that's pulsing through the veins is what you're not supposed to eat. And similarly with the fat, it's the fat that has accrued in places, right? You eat a fatted calf and the, the fat goes through the meat and is marbled through the meat. So it's not saying that you have to destroy the meat to get the fat out of. But the fat that would be on the edge of the meat, I think that's part of the fat that you're not allowed to eat. And remember what I said before, the stuff that the entrails, it's this picture of the inward parts and the fat that accrues in the inward parts. And I was saying that it's the fat that accrued because of sin. And I think that's not the picture here. This picture is not the fat that accrues because of sin. This can be the fat that accrues because of the blessings of God. Right? This is not, this is not directly related to sin. It's, it's the picture of becoming fat in the world. You can become fat in the world. You can, you can become filled with the things of the world. It's the parable of the sower, where the cares of the world, right? The, the, the seed that falls among the thorns. He says in Matthew 13, 22, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth, hears the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and become, becomes unfruitful. Sorry, I accidentally put the King James in here. But the, the picture is, is that when the sower is sowing, some falls on the, you know, and gets immediately snatched up by Satan because it's on the road. Some falls on shallow soil that the persecution comes. And then some falls among the thorns. And he said, that's the picture of being choked out by the cares of the world. And I think that's the picture here. And the deceitfulness of riches. It's not wrong to earn money. It's not wrong. There's no inherent sin for earning money. But when you earn money, it's easy to become fat. It's easy to become choked out. It's easy to become, to start to chase after that. So like the fat related to the entrails, I think is the picture of the blessings of sin or the, not the blessings in a positive sense, but the fruit of sin that you can look at as a blessing. This can be the fruit of righteousness, but that it's causing you to take your eyes off of God. It's causing you to, to be satisfied, you know, as it says in Ezekiel, that with the, the fullness of food and the abundance of idleness. That seems to me that that's what the picture is, that they're supposed to be sacrificing this because their hope, their, their blessings, we're not supposed to be seeking after blessings in this world. We're supposed to have a focus on eternal life. And so this is the picture of eating the fat of the world. Not that it's inherently bad, but that it's, it's an easy way to build up comfort in the things of this world, to get fat. And, of course, God is warning them and, and giving a commandment not to eat the fat so that they don't go down that path, which, of course, Moses prophesied very much that they would in Deuteronomy 32, 37 through 39. He will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? 
who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. They want the fat of their sacrifice. They want to eat it. They, instead of pouring out the wine on the, on the rock so that it burns up and disappears, they want to drink the wine. They want the pleasures. They're seeking after the pleasures of this world rather than the pleasures of God. So God says, there is no God beside me, and I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, nor is there anyone who can deliver from my hand. So that's, I think that's the picture. The picture is like that, the, the parable of the sower that goes among the, the thorns and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. In that picture of what exactly happens to Israel, they eat the fat of the sacrifices and they turn from God and they say, who needs God? We've got, we've got plenty. We've got lots. We've got the good things of this world. Who needs God? So be very careful about wanting physical blessings in this life. And you see this all over the place in the church. Right, Joel Osteen has, what, 20,000 people in his church because he says your best life now. Understand what the picture is. That picture is he's trying to get them to eat the fat of the offerings instead of saying we get to offer this to God and it's pleasing to God. And when the fat is burned on the altar, it's a pleasing aroma to God. Instead of being pleasing to God, it becomes about being pleased in this world. And that's what happened to Israel, and that's what continues to happen today, and we should be very careful that it doesn't happen to each one of us. So the argument against it being any fat would be like in Nehemiah verse, Nehemiah 8.10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. But that eat the fat there isn't saying that you eat fat. It is the same word, but it's if you eat the fatted calf, the fatted calf is going to have a lot more marbling in it than, than grass-fed beef. Yes, the Bible talks about not eating grass-fed beef, that it's a blessing. But, um, and so you don't have to eat the fat in order to eat the fatted calf. And so when it's saying eat the fat here, I don't think it's Speaking specifically about that fat, it's more referring to go have a feast, rejoice. God has revealed his law to you. And instead of seeing the guilt of the law, feel gracious or feel grateful towards God and filled with thanksgiving because God has revealed himself to you. So then he lists animals of the ox. Now he's listing only clean animals. An ox is obviously the largest of the animal and so it would have the most fat. And the way we typically finish cattle, there's quite a bit of fat because the last 30 days, you only put them on grain for the last 30 days of their life so that they have more fat, which would be the picture of a fatted calf. And so um, we don't know how much fat they would have had on their cattle. My guess is they had less fat than we have on our cattle because it's a lot easier for us to harvest grain to feed the cattle than they did. But it does talk about the the stall-fed calf where you fatten it up by keeping it in a stall so it doesn't go around. But again, that's not the fat that's outside the muscles. The reason that you put it in a stall is so that the fat that's marbling inside the flesh stays there so that it doesn't exercise and the muscles don't get stronger. 
so or sheep or goats or of any of the, the clean animals that are of the herds, they were not to eat the fat. And presumably, since it's about to list other animals they were, that they're not allowed to eat, that they were not allowed to eat, that this focus on animals that are clean is that these are the ones that they were allowed to eat, but they still aren't allowed to eat the fat related to it. Verses 24 and 25. And the fat of an animal that dies naturally and the fat of that of what is torn by wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. So again, this is the fat. You know, before it was talking about the fat of animals that would be sacrificed, like an ox, a sheep, a goat. But now there's also other fat that's available, the fat of animals that were not sacrificed. You know, of an animal in, that dies, and they put in naturally. And I don't think that that's the point at all. I think naturally is adding to the scriptures a constraint that's not there. Because like in... Deuteronomy 12, 21 and 22, it says, If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, you may slaughter your, from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. And so animals die for other than natural death and other than being torn by a beast. And so if you decide that, well, it's too far to go to Jerusalem and I want to have a steak dinner, you're allowed to slaughter your ox. But I think this law, the animal died, but not naturally, but the law still applies. You are not allowed to eat the fat. And so it's not just the ones in sacrifice, which were, is what it was talking about in 20, 22 and 23, but it's also those who die because it's like the gazelle or the deer. It's you kill an animal... And if you're an Israelite, you are not allowed to eat the fat. So they add the word naturally, which I think narrows it further than it should. So you're not allowed to eat any of the fat of any animal, whether you find it on the road or you kill it or what you do, there is no fat that you're allowed to eat. And again, I think this is the picture of that part of the fat that is accrued separately, not the fat that's just in the muscular structure of the animal. So in the fat of that which is of what is torn by wild beasts, they could have been killed by a predator. If they were killed by a predator, an Israelite was not allowed to eat it, but they were allowed to sell it to a Gentile, and the Gentiles could eat it. But they were allowed to use the fat. They were just not allowed to eat the fat. So the fat may be used in any other way. And it's important to recognize there's lots of use for the fat. So the fat for the the fat on the entrails and stuff that had to be burned. There was fat for sacrifices that that was all supposed to be given to the priest to be burned. But then they still needed to do things like make soap. You need fat to make soap. They would do things like make candles from it. Fat is very useful as a lubricant if you're trying to get something to slide. You need fat, and it works a lot better because it's grease as opposed to oil, right? You can use olive oil for some things, but that moves away a lot faster than a grease will move away. So this would be their source of grease. We go to the grocery store and get grease, or not the grocery store, but a hardware store or whatever and get grease. But they only had their main supply of grease would be fat. And so God is saying, you can use it for all these other uses. You're just not allowed to eat it. And so I think the picture here is that 
while we're not to feed on the fat of the world, our focus is to be on God, it doesn't mean that we don't use the fat that the world gives us for other useful purposes. God gives us more money than we need to survive. Well, there's plenty of uses that people that, that are in need that you can use the money for. And that's the picture. It's not that the, it's bad to have the fat. It's when we're trying to bring the fat and internalize the fat and make it part of us. That's when it's a problem. When we grow fat, rather than just having the fat and using the fat for the purposes for which God made fat. He gives us lots of pictures of why fat is important. But you shall by no means eat it. So you can use it externally at however you want. We accrue things in this world and we can use them externally for God's glory. We can use them for ministry. We can use them for all kinds of things. But we don't turn and make them part of us and we don't turn and make it about the love of the world and the blessings of this world. So it's not fine to bring it into the inward parts. That's where you die. That's where you get cut off. Because of the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, like God talks about, like Christ talked about in the parable of the sower. And so, for whoever eats the fat of the animal, now God declares how serious he is about this. Because whoever eats it, of which men offer, so now recognize that he's making a differentiation. He's, not, he's saying, if you took your animal to offer it at the temple or at the tabernacle, and it was killed, and you eat any of that which was offered, it was an offering made by fire to the Lord. So it's specifically by offering made by fire, which would be all those that we've talked about, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the, the peace offering, the trespass offering. Those were all offerings made by fire. If you eat any of those, then the punishment is different than if you just eat fat that's off of the animal. Was it sin to eat fat in your home? Yes, it was sin. But did that mean you got cut off from Israel? No. You only get cut off from Israel if you offered it as a sacrifice. So God is making a pretty big difference than what he makes with the, with the blood. With the blood, he says, even in your dwelling place, if you eat it, you get cut off. Here he goes, if you eat fat, it's sin, but it's not... They're not supposed to go knocking on doors to make sure. But if you eat the, the fat that's from an animal that was offered, the fat that was God's, because it was supposed to be burned as a sweet aroma to God, then God will judge you for it, and the people were to judge you for it. So for a, an animal like a peace offering, they'd burn the entrails, but then they'd burn the other fat when they sacrificed it. So after they butchered it, they'd cut off the fat, and then they'd bring the fat with the, with the meat to, to, for the fat to be burned on the altar and for the priest to receive his portion of the meat. I think it's the breast. And so like Eli's sons, what they were doing is they were violating this law. 1 Samuel two fifteen and 16. Also, before they burned the fat, so the priests were supposed to burn the fat. The priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give me meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. If the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you can take as much as your heart desires, then he would answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. So the picture of Eli's sons, right, these men of Belial, these men that were wicked men, they wanted the fat. 
they didn't want the person making the sacrifice to cut off the fat because they were looking for their blessings in this world. But the normal way to do it is you'd make your peace offering, you'd burn the entrails, they'd sprinkle the blood on the altar, and then they would go and they would butcher the animal and they would bring the fat with the, the part of the animal for the priest and they would burn the fat. But they're going, no, we want our peace with the fat still attached to it so that they could eat the fat. And that was the sign of wickedness that they had because God says whoever eats the fat of something that's offered is to be cut off. They were to be killed. And yet, this is the high priest's son and Eli did nothing about it. So it wasn't, they weren't, they weren't, when they went to burn the fat, they didn't, they wanted to keep the fat for themselves. And the point is, is they were to make an offering by fire to the Lord. In other words, it was the Lord's fat. So they are stealing from God. This is how God set up the worship. He set it up that the world, the point of the world is not for us to get fat. The point of the world is for God to be pleased with it. God to be pleased with the burnt offering, with the sweet aroma. It's not that God gives us good things in this world so that we can be satisfied with the world. That's not the point. The point is he causes good things in this world and for wealth to accrue and other things to accrue because he's going to use it as a burnt offering. He's going to use it to create a pleasant aroma for himself. And we're not supposed to be satisfied with the fat of this world or we'll be like Israel and be judged like Israel. So to eat of that fat is to steal from God. And so God says the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. And this statement is sometimes considered to be banishment, but the word banishment doesn't really fit with the word. The, the word means more like cut down, like you cut down a tree. Or the picture of, of Abraham when, when God enters into covenant with him and he cuts all the animals in two. That's the picture of being cut off. It's the same, it's one word, it's not cut and off, it's just cut. And so they're to be destroyed. And you also see it in Exodus 31, 14, about the Sabbath. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. That's a verse that very clearly connects the cutting off to the death penalty. So I don't think when you read this that you should go, oh, it was just banishment. This was about being put to death. That's what, that would happen. So the reason I think the Bible uses this term is that the focus is not on the judgment of the person. The focus is what you're doing to the other people. The point is the reason you put them to death is to separate them from the rest of the Israelites. It's not punishment for them. They'll go to hell either way. That's not the issue. The issue is so that the others see and fear, so that the others recognize that false worship, worship of the things of this world, care and the deceitfulness of riches in this world, that it is destructive and it is worthy of death and God will judge it. So the reason that it says they're cut off from the people is that the emphasis is the effect on the people and not the effect on the person who sinned. It's about protecting those who remain. Verses 26 and 27. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. So he talks about the blood, or excuse me, about the fat. And then he says, moreover, 
Only this requirement is a lot broader. So he's going to give an additional requirement. Eating the fat of a burnt offering is worthy of being cut off, or an offering made by fire. But eating blood is always to be punished by death. Remember the law was established with Noah. It's not a law just for Israelites. That you shall not eat the blood. And we should remember why that God gave the commandment to Noah. He gave the reason in Genesis 9, 3, and 4. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So the picture is, when you eat blood, you are consuming the life of the animal. And you aren't really consuming the life of the animal. This is a symbolic picture. Just like, you know, um, the Sabbath day. The picture of the Sabbath day, where that you work six days and one day you, you rest, it is symbolizing the eternal rest that's in God. It is not itself the rest. It is a picture of the rest. And the picture of eating the blood is you don't actually, by consuming the blood of an animal, you don't get the life of that animal. But it was established even before the law because in the end, that's how people are saved. That is the only way that they're saved is by eating the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how you incorporate Christ's blood or Christ's life into you. Christ uses that picture in the New Covenant in John 6, 53 through 55. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So the symbolic act of drinking Christ's blood is about his life being in you. And when you drink the blood of any other animal, it is the picture of bringing their life into you. So God bans the physical picture for men for all times. Because before Noah, they weren't even to eat meat. And after Noah, they're not to eat blood. And so he's giving a physical commandment to maintain a spiritual picture. The spiritual reality that it's pointing to, that you have to drink, you have to eat the blood of Christ. And not drinking blood is important because pagans have always thought drinking blood was important. Because from the blood, you get the life of the animal. This is a picture that pagan religions know. That's why they drink blood. They drink blood because they think, you know, if you drink the blood of a bull, that you'll become strong like a bull. You'll receive the life of the bull. And so God has made it. So this is an idea that's out there in the world. And he says, but the righteous don't do this because they don't want to lessen themselves by being a bull. We're made in the image of God. Pagan ritual, worship rituals frequently have the picture of drinking blood. But that's because they're making themselves like the creature. They're worshiping the creature and they're not worshiping the creator. And so when you drink blood, when you eat blood of an animal, you are symbolically lessening yourself to be like that animal. When you symbolically eat the blood of Christ, drink his blood, you become more like Christ. And that's the promise, is that we get his characteristics, right? Romans eight twenty nine, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. The promise of consuming the blood of Jesus Christ 
when you eat his flesh and drink his blood, is you become more like Christ. When you drink the blood of a lower animal, you become more like that lower animal is the symbolic picture that people continue to believe. And that's why it's always evil to drink blood. Because those made in the image of God should not lower themselves and make them a lower creature by consuming the life and partaking in the life of a lesser animal, a lower creature than themselves. Romans 1, 24 and 25. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And so when you... When you drink blood of a bull, you're worshiping the creature. You're saying, I want to be more, I want to have the strength of a bull. When you do that with any animal, you're consuming their life, saying, I want my life to be more like that, which is about worshiping the creature instead of worshiping the creator. And again, for the, for the fat, it was all about, about the thing that was offered. That's not true for the blood. For the blood, it's in any of your dwellings. Eating the fat of an offering made by fire was worthy of death. But if you sacrificed an animal, or not sacrificed an animal, when you killed an animal for food, it was sin to eat the fat, but it wasn't worthy of death. That's not true for the blood. If you eat the blood in your dwelling place, you were supposed to be cut off from Israel. The blood in any of your dwellings, whether a bird or beast, you know, for the fat, they gave clean animals for the offering. They said, you know, if you eat this, you should be cut off. But for the blood, it's any kind of animal because the point is that you're taking that life into yourself symbolically and you're, you're becoming like that animal. And that is not, not a righteous thing for someone made in the image of God to do. So whether of bird or beast, whoever eats any blood, anyone who eats the blood, regardless of whether they're an Israelite or a stranger, so only... The only ones that could offer fat that made it worthy of death was an Israelite. You had to be of the circumcision to make an offering. And those were the ones that would be put to death. That's not true for the blood. For the blood, it's anybody, any stranger in your land, if they eat blood, that they are to be put to death. So whoever eats any blood, all the, any of the Gentiles in the land, so notice it doesn't say... Drink the blood either. It says eat the blood. And that's important because it's not saying if you cook it and you make it into blood pudding or black pudding as they call it in England that then it's fine. It's you consume it. It doesn't matter how you consume it. The picture is you're consuming the life of the animal and the life of the animals is not yours to consume. The flesh of the animal is yours to consume but not the life of the animal. So it doesn't have to be liquid. Cooking it so it's solid solidifies, still qualifies as eating the blood. God gave life. Life is in the blood, and we're not supposed to symbolically take that life and incorporate it into ourselves. The only life we're supposed to do that with is the life of Jesus Christ. So whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off. Again, the same term is used, that term of cutting, of destruction, of being destroyed. They shall be cut off from his people because they degraded degraded those who are made in his image by worshiping the creature, by seeking after the creature. Because of that, they were to be separated from the people of God. Let me give you some applications. 
the first application is when you read the laws, any of the laws, you always need to be very careful to determine whether that law is still binding today or if it's a law that was done away with in Christ. And it's easy to make it subjective. You see this all the time. People attack Christians all the time saying something, oh, obviously you don't believe that you shouldn't suffer a witch to live. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with Gentiles and Israelites. So the answer is it's righteous for the government not to let a witch to live. People go, oh, but we can have that visceral reaction to go, no, that shouldn't happen. Think of the Salem witch trials. Think of the evil that was done there. Think of all the, 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 the attacks on witches when there was about a 300-year period in, in Christendom where everybody was coming up with these weird ways to, to determine what a witch was and then murdering people. Well, the issue there was their means of justice. Their issue wasn't whether you should suffer a witch to live. But yet that's a common attack, and it's easy for Christians to go, oh, yeah, I'm uncomfortable with that. Well, who cares? The question is, what did God say? Is that about separating the Gentiles from the Israelites? And I don't think so. I don't think you can make that argument. So when we look at the laws, don't let your subjective view, don't let the... The, what you've been taught by the society make you feel whether this is a good law that continues or not. God has given us a standard. He's given us what he came to do. He came to make one body from the two, and in doing that, he tore down a certain set of ordinances. So when you read the statutes and the scriptures, you need to make certain that you're applying the objective standard that God has given And again, it's not always easy to apply, but the things that were done away with in Christ are those things about making a separate people. All things get unified in Christ. We are supposed to be working towards unity and knowledge of the Son of God, is what it says in Ephesians 2. That we're supposed to be, or Ephesians 4. That that's what we're supposed to be working towards. We're not supposed to make these arbitrary divisions like the, the, you know, messianic jews and all these other things that's not righteous that's not god made from the two people one and we're supposed to consider those laws done away with that we're creating that separation which is pretty much everything that we've been dealing with in leviticus up to this point it's all about shadows it's all about pictures of things to come that the substance is in christ and so those things were specific to israel and they go away as these, these pictures that were fulfilled in Christ. So when, as we go forward through Leviticus, or whenever we study the scriptures, we need to be asking our, ourselves the question when we see a statute, is this a statute that was done away, that was abolished in that middle wall of separation in Christ, or does it continue to bind today? Is it, does it continue to show what is righteous for people to do today? Next application, we should understand the picture of fat, which is why God commands them not to eat it. So they don't become like the nations around them. Specifically, God said that they were worse in Ezekiel 16, 48 and 49. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. That's the picture of eating the fat, where you're satisfied with the things in this world. You have the abundance of idleness. You have the fullness of food. 
and all of a sudden you just become fat and thick and you become satisfied with the things of this world. And the first sign of being satisfied with the things of the world is you don't do anything for the poor and needy because you're more concerned about your, your well-being, about your comfort, about your pleasure. And we should recognize as we hear this warning, as we think about eating the fat, it's pretty obvious this is where we are as a country. We have fullness of food, and, and everybody goes, oh, we're so busy, we're so busy. That is just like such a lie. We are the laziest society in the history of the world by far. No other society even comes close. Another, no other society had what's the average person use their phone for or a screen like five hours a day. We are by far the laziest society ever. Nobody comes even close to us in terms of laziness and idleness. And the church has to be different. The church has a duty to be different. And it's very easy for us to, to sit back and, and be satisfied with the comforts that we have and eat the fat of the world around us and not recognize God says this is worthy of death. This is that the, the seed that goes among the thorns and gets choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. We're in the midst of the sin of... That's, you know, in the midst of this sin that's all around us, we should be asking ourselves, are we different? Because Christians are different. Not should be different. They are different. Because God saves us. He makes us new creatures, as it says in Ephesians 2, for good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. That's what he did. So when we sit back and we think, oh, yeah, let's just, you know, oh, I'm so tired because I've worked so hard. Give me a break. What a joke. You sat in an air-conditioned office. That's not hard work. Get over it. Instead, we need to ask ourselves, are we caring for the poor the way that we should? Are we caring for the needy the way that we should? Are we really satisfied with the comforts of this life? We need to make sure we don't go the path of Israel. Deuteronomy 32, 13 through 17. He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock, with the fat of lambs and the rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, the blood of the grapes, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. We should ask ourselves how obese we are. And I don't mean physically obese. How much we're satisfied with the comforts of this world, we're satisfied with the good things of this world, So we don't serve God. We don't seek God. We don't do the things that we have an obligation to do before God. Because this is what happened next. Then he, being Israel, forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. We're watching that happen in America today. Otherwise, there would not be all these things that are going on. There wouldn't be abortion. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be the, the homosexuality. There wouldn't be the, the transvestites. There wouldn't be this gender dysphoria. All this is because the church has grown fat and it's grown comfortable. and It's more concerned about the comfort in this world today than it is about the worship of God and giving God the things that he deserves and the things that he requires. So it's easy to see that in the nation around us. 
let's make sure we look at Reformation Baptist Church and see how much are we the same. How much do we love our comforts rather than serving God? How much are we unwilling to give up things that, that we like in order to serve God? Are we just like the world around us and we just have a veneer of being different? And don't deceive yourself. It's personal too. It's not just the church. How much do you like the comforts of the world so you don't serve God the way you're supposed to serve him? Everyone that's saved has to, to ask themselves that. It's so easy to get swept up with the world. It's so easy to get swept up with, with all the, the jangly things that people put in front of you, the, the, you know, the, the apps on your phone and the other things that are to distract you and to get you to waste your time because, let's be serious, we all have an abundance of idleness. And because of that, we've grown thick are we helping the poor and the needy the way we should be? Or will God say, you're worthy of death, just like Israel was? Don't eat the fat, or you'll find yourself to become obese, and you'll forget the God who made you. So examine yourself. Have you exalted comforts? You know, the picture of eating the fat is the picture of eating good things. And as you do that, you forget your maker. God gives us good things in this world. But we should recognize sometimes they're a test. Will you love the things of the world? Will you love the pleasures in this world? Or will you seek God and do the work that he gives you to do? Because of our own sin nature, we'll want to avoid, we'll want to avoid discomfort. But God says, which one will you choose? Will you choose comfort or will you choose me? And we should all ask ourselves that question. Do we choose comfort or do we choose God? When you choose comfort instead of God, you're like a fat man. And that really restricts what you're able to do. Are you accruing fat by, by falling prey to the comforts of this world? Another application we should recognize how much the spiritual equivalent of eating the fat of sacrifices happens in the American church. Where people go and they claim that they're worshiping God. Or they take what's intended for God and use it for their own pleasure. That's the picture of eating the fat of the offering, is you're taking what is God's, what is for his pleasure, what is the pleasing aroma for him, and you're consuming it on your own pleasure. Right? The picture of eating the fat of the offering, that's the seeker-sensitive movement in a nutshell. Those are the same thing. You say, oh, don't come and worship God. Come because you'll find it pleasant. You'll find it what you want here. It's for you, it's not for God. And God says, that's worthy of death. God says, that's worthy to be cut off. It's really easy to claim that you're doing things for the worship of God when you're really doing it about worshiping yourself, about doing the things that you want to do rather than the things that God wants you to do, that you're serving yourself or you're lying about it and saying you're serving God. Rick Warren made a huge a huge career out of doing that, where he made millions of dollars out of doing this, saying what a sacrificial person he is, as he deceives people into thinking that the worship of God is about pleasing themselves. He bragged a year ago or something about how many people he discipled. He discipled them as the Pharisees discipled. Not about sacrificing for God, not about drawing near to God, about seeking eternal life, but about comfort in this life. Remember, God's a jealous God, and he will not share his glory with another. We should remember that when we consider the death penalty offense for eating the Lord's fat.
is how many churches are doing that. And we should recognize the judgment that this nation is under is because churches are filled with people doing this. And God says, it's for me. It's not for you. Where is our worship? Is our worship for God or is our worship towards ourselves? It's easy to do that in the name of Christ, to actually worship for yourself while you put a veneer of Christianity on it. Everybody that's been to Nigeria sees this. But recognize you should be able to see it here too because it happens here all the time. Then the last application. God maintains symbolism, ceremonial law, if you will, that's beyond the Mosaic law. The Sabbath is symbolic, but so is eating blood. Life is symbolically in the blood. If you eat the blood of a bull, you do not become a bull. But God says don't eat it because you're symbolically doing it. So when we talk about the ceremonial law that passed away, we're talking about the ceremonial law that was very specific about separating the Jews from the Gentiles. Because there's other ceremonial law that's like eating the fat of an animal that continues because it was given to Noah. God gave that picture since the first animal was killed. God gave that picture that you're not supposed to eat the blood because it was all pointing to Christ. And it's still in pagan cultures, it still points to Christ. Because they think eating the blood of an animal will give them the characteristics of that animal. And God ordered that in the world so that we could recognize that eating the blood of Christ is how you get the characteristics of Christ. Symbolically, not physically. But that is how we get the the characteristics of Christ. The only blood that we're supposed to eat is Jesus Christ. Because that's the only blood that can raise up man rather than lowering him down. And so God says, if you want to become like a creature, that's worthy of death. God maintains these symbolic pictures, the Sabbath, the eating of blood, other things, so that we remember there has been truth in the gospel that that was there from the beginning, from from the time of Noah, so that people could understand who Christ was. Because God did not leave the world without a testimony. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who does reveal yourself to men. You are a God who does call us to good things, call us the things that that should raise us up, call us to not be entrapped by the world and by the comforts and the cares of the world. But instead, you tell us to put them aside and seek after the better things, seek after being conformed to your image, seeking after eternal life with you, seeking after the crown of glory, or these things that you, you command us to do as your faithful servants. Lord, help us to be more faithful servants. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.